small girl dumped like trash and her mother's desperate plea for justice. I'm your host, Sunday Times reporter Alex Patrick. Capano's story haunts me. The failure of justice won't go unchallenged. It is that failure that led me and the Sunday Times to create this short podcast series. You are listening to Justice for Capano, a short podcast series that dissects the tragic events surrounding Copano Molelekedi's death. A 10-year-old with endless potential who was struck down by a motorist, abducted in front of countless witnesses and left for dead. In today's episode, we consider the facts of the case. Please be advised that this podcast contains descriptions of the death of a child that some people may find offensive. Listener discretion is strongly advised. When I first met Orapaleng, her fiancé Isaac and Copano's grandmother, Gogo Tebojo, sat quietly, sick after having had no sleep for days. It was the day of Copano's memorial service at Durban Deep Primary. Durban Deep Primary is a state school in Durban Deep Township, southwest of Johannesburg, where Copano was a bright student, beloved by her teachers and classmates. The family sat with teachers in the school hallway, facing a small courtyard assembly of children. They sat on the wooden school chairs with iron legs, and the children sat on the dirty cement floor, surrounded by red brick. Durban Deep is built on a disused gold mine nicknamed the Grand Old Lady by the landlords, near the site of some of the first gold discoveries in the city of Johannesburg. A vast majority of the people who live in the area live in poverty. It was almost impossible to find the school using GPS because tin shacks in the area had been built straight across the roads where the navigator instructed me to turn. Recalculating. But Durban Deep, Continue like many townships in Johannesburg, is not only made up of shacks and lean-tos. The homes surrounding the school are beautifully manicured, with neat walls and green verges. They show the pride of their middle-class owners. Speed humps stop vehicles speeding down the road, where, at three o'clock... children walk to their nearest taxi stop. The dust blowing off the mines is something both the shack dwellers and the homeowners have to contend with. Crime is also rife, thanks to the illegal miners or zamazamas who ply their dangerous and illegal trade in the neighborhood. The informal miners risk their lives every day, digging into the remains of seams of gold left decades ago by huge corporate mining companies. Often, battles between the different groups of Zamazamas end in violent, deadly clashes on the surface. On days like these, the children of Durban Deep Primary School stay at home rather than risk a stray bullet. 
Copano's school is in the shadow of a vast mine dump. The dump is toxic. Nothing can grow on it. It stands bare, with its ash-colored sand blowing acidic dust into the classrooms below. The memorial service was held two weeks after Capano's death on September the 6th, 2018. Her family, friends and teachers sat in the small courtyard for her memorial assembly. In front of them, stuck to the bare brick walls, were posters bearing her image, made by the local printer. Her teacher also clubbed together to buy a special candle with her face on it. That same picture on the face of the candle is the one that I've kept pinned to the wall of my desk. Underneath are the words, in loving memory of the late Copano Molelekeri. I was in the staff room when the teachers scratched in their wallets, scraping together what they could afford to give her service some dignity. The men and the women who teach at Durban Deep do so with love and not for the money. At the ceremony, then headmaster Ivan Msomi gave Kapano's school bag to her parents. It was packed with her school books and pencils. It was a gesture of care, but for the family, a stark reminder that Kupano would never again wear that little Dora the Explorer backpack. As he passed it over, it fell to the floor. Kupano's memorial was a trying day, and her mother and family barely spoke to me. But fast forward 15 months to the call I received from Kupano's mother, I was surprised to hear that Urapaleng could speak perfect English. At the memorial, I had a translator speak to her in Setswana. I imagine when your child dies, you don't really want to speak to anyone, especially not a nosy reporter. I can't really blame her for that. But now she wanted to speak and her meek demeanor had transformed to anger. After the memorial, the family seemed to disappear. I sat with the picture on, on my desk of Kapano for all these years and I've tried to get hold of her family again and I just couldn't find them. Um, and yeah, eventually I just thought, let me go into Facebook and try and track down her mom. And I saw somebody with a similar name. There were like 50 million people with the same name. And um, yeah, I just messaged everybody and, and said who I was and, and that I was looking for the mother of Kapano. And yeah, months later, um, I got a response and actually a phone call from Orapaleng. I was so excited. Um, but she told me that the reason I couldn't find her was that she had moved. She didn't want to live in the, you know, in the neighborhood where she had, um, where her daughter had died. She just, she couldn't stand walking past that road every day and seeing cars that could have been her daughter's, you know, her daughter's killer and she just needed to get out. Orapaleng had changed her number. Umama Tabojo, Kopano's grandmother, was being treated in a psychiatric hospital in the northwest province after suffering a nervous breakdown brought on by her beloved granddaughter's death. 
But the worst news was that she had not received any word from the police on the case. And despite numerous trips to the police station, she did not even know if her daughter's docket was still open. Uh, when I when I when I first when I went to the police station, is the first day that I hear that my child was bumped. That the sixth, that, that same day. That same day, we went to the police. Me and Isaac, we went to the police to open a missing child, and then. We went there, they don't want to help us. They say, no, the child will come back. I tell the them, no. Will come back. Yes, he says, you will, will come back. I say, this, this child didn't do this before. That's why I'm so scared. Or maybe something bad happened to her. He don't sleep out, he don't went to the front. If he says he went somewhere, he went there and she came back. That day she didn't come back. What I can say to the police, the police must work. They must take the case serious. They must take everything serious. So that we can see the police are working. They must do their work. Do you feel very let down by what happened? I'm, I'm very, very, I'm feeling down, serious. This is what I can tell you right now. I feel like, you know, I'm nothing. I, I feel like... I, 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 I failed her. Despite witnesses, there were no suspects. We decided that evening, on the phone, to try and find out what happened to Capano. Perhaps together we could get some closure for the family. We were going to look into the case ourselves. On September the 12th, 2018, when I first became involved in the case, Capano was just a Jane Doe in the morgue. People assumed she was a forgotten child, but she wasn't. Her family had been searching for her. They just didn't know where to look. Capano had gone to her biological father's house that day to ask him for money for a school trip. Why was she going to see her dad on that particular day? Uh, she was asking for money for trip, school trip, yeah. For a school trip. I wasn't having money because I already buy food for them and pay transport for her. So I tell her, you know, I don't have money. Copanda day was very angry, says me, I'm going. I try to beg her, don't go, I'll, I'll, I'll try my best find the, the money just wait two days maybe I'll, I'll get the money she didn't want to listen she was so, shouting at me says no I'm going so she went to go see her dad yeah and she was fighting with you that day she was very very cross there must be terrible that that's the last thing that you yes got to chat to your daughter about she had caught a taxi the next morning on her way back home to her mother her stepfather Isaac and younger half-siblings, sister Khotatso and brother Kamchelo, who all stayed together in Jerusalem in Rudaput. At the time, police said Capano was hit while crossing Albertina Sisulu Road. After two weeks, we hear that the child was bumped by the car and the, that guy take the child and dump her in Pinville Park. The driver that hit her had got out the vehicle and picked her up. He told bystanders he would take her to hospital. 
but instead he drove around until finally, in Pennyville Park, a newly developed area in Soweto, he pushed her from the vehicle and drove off. Capano's body was dumped in the park in front of numerous flats synonymous with the area. From the information I received at the time, a passing motorist had seen her little body being pushed out of the car and onto the pavement near the park. He then picked her up, took her to the nearby Nordgesich clinic, where she later died from her injuries. At the time, I reported that she could have survived if she was brought in earlier. But from what I was about to learn about her injuries, I'm not so sure anymore. Unfortunately, we will never know. Rappeling explained that she was searching for a child straight away. I called her father to come and check, to check for me if the child, he says no, I put the child in, in a taxi and I asked the taxi driver to drop the child where she stays. And then I was thinking he is lying to me. I went to Rodiport, from Florida to Rodiport, to go and check for the child. We went all the hospital to check the child. We didn't find the child. Capano's adopted father, Isaac, said he went to her school to see if she had gone straight to school that morning. When you heard, where, where were you when you heard that she yeah, was... that time I never I wait for Copano Master from the school. I mean, going to school was in the morning. Mm. Yeah, I wait for Copano to school. And, uh, I hear the rumors, saying uh, another mama say, I see the baby, the guy eating. So, so you're actually waiting at her school for her? God, that's terrible. Uh, okay, so somebody told you what had happened at the school or did, you didn't know it was her yet? No, that, that guy tell us he saw Mara, I never knew he was one, one second. He did see Mara, I never knew it was, was a child. Her family searched for her from the minute she went missing. The first thing Arapaleng did was try and open a missing persons case. But an officer allegedly told her that she needed to come back 48 hours after she had conducted her own search. Mark Hardwick worked in the police's child protection unit for 13 years. He is now a private investigator for his own company, The Guardian, which specializes in child protection and child rights education. He explains here what the actual police procedure around reporting of missing children ought to be and how it is ideally meant to be handled by authorities. My understanding is, is that in terms of what the police, what the police's orders are, is that if a person is under the age of 12 or has any history of mental disability, then a missing person's case is opened immediately and that docket is given priority and given to the detectives. There have been situations where police resources are, are, are spent on, on, um, you know, on adults who have just decided to go on a joyride. And so there, the, there is rules around the 48 hours, but that certainly doesn't apply to special victims like children or mentally disabled people. But the claim that police turned Urapaleng away has since been denied by the authorities. In 2018, Orlando East Police Spokesperson Constable Monica Hangwani confirmed that a case of culpable homicide had been opened, but she would not respond to any questions about the suspect. 
and, and I just also wanted to ask you if you remember, um, were witnesses able to uh, say or tell police exactly what they had seen? Oh, I'm not sure. Remember, even when I wanted to give you information, I was told by the I.O. at Orlando, investigation officer at Orlando, not to say anything as it will jeopardize the case. So I was not allowed even to say anything. So if you can please talk to the I.O. investigation officer okay. in Florida, they might be able to give you more information. I think so far, because it's been la- it's a case of year before last, they'll have more information on the case because... On our side at Orlando, there was no, the information was not very clear, but I think now it will be clear. I have always wondered why, despite a crowd of witnesses, nobody has been caught. The only conclusion I've been able to come to is that justice is rare in South Africa. If you are poor and you live on the margins, you are completely at the mercy of the system. When you have to walk kilometers to a police station and then you receive no service, what do you do? You can't afford airtime, you don't have internet. How do you know what your rights are and who do you call when those rights have been violated? The truth is that if this had happened to a young, wealthy child, the culprit would have been caught long ago. The public would be outraged. But nobody knows about Capano and those involved in her death appear to have got away with it. Orapaleng and Isaac were engaged before Kapano was killed, but they used the money they had saved for their wedding to bury their little girl. Orapaleng's ring was sold, and the engagement was held off. Later, I was told by a social worker that a service provider at the funeral home tried to charge this family double for their service. Luckily, the service provider was fired for trying to pocket the funds from the family, but who knows who else could have been scammed. This case was already bizarre, but then there would be a new twist. Orapaleng dropped a bomb, which would change what I thought I knew about the day Kapano died. She said she suspected that the good Samaritan who took Kapano to the clinic before she died, was actually the one who knocked her down and abducted her in Jerusalem. He is the killer, she said. And then the guy who says he found the child in Pinville Park, he don't want to meet me. So I I can think maybe he can change the story why he don't want to to, to see me. That person who says he found the child is the one who this story is a passion project for us at the Sunday Times. If you enjoyed the show or want to know what happened next, please subscribe to ensure that you don't miss the next episode. You can subscribe for free on all major podcast streaming platforms, including Spotify, Iono FM, Pocket Cast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We remain hopeful that this production will lead to justice for Kopano and her family. Please share this podcast and spread the word. In our next episode, Alex speaks to the witnesses of the accident and the subsequent abduction. Voiceover and reporting done by Alex Patrick. Additional voicing by Zama Lutsuli. Production and sound design by Paige Muller. 
Editorial assistance by news and investigations editor Nikki Gulesh. Executive production by head of multimedia Scott Peter Smith. Justice for Kobano is a production of Sunday Times and Multimedia Live. Subscribe for free to catch future episodes. 